You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. I want you to open up your scriptures, the book of Judges, chapter 2. We're heading out of chapter 2 this morning. Good to be back with you. Um, thank you for all that prayed for our short little quick jump to Jackson, Michigan and back and uh, prayed for the funeral that I went to for my uncle. My dad was speaking at and spoke the gospel and so we can pray that hearts there would would hear of Jesus and put their hope in Jesus. And so thank you for those I mean, safely back and couple van issues, but God even provided in that, and, and we're home, and, and so we just praise the Lord for that. So thanks for being part of our trip, even as, as we went out. Um, you're heading to the book of Judges, chapter 2. We're going to be in verse uh, 20. We're going to be starting at verse 20 and then going through chapter 3, verse 6. So kind of off from 20 where we left off last week and into chapter 3. Got a picture up here, a couple from Malachi this week. Malachi, finally, right? Malachi turns in a picture about every week, and got a couple of them. This, if you can tell, it's I zoomed in, so sorry, it's a little blurry, but it's it's uh, it's not blurry in the paper. You can see it in the in the front entrance. But the plunders, I think, is the idea. The last week we looked at Israel not following the ways of the Lord, and the they were plundered, and God kind of let those plunders come in. And then we see in the next picture here. I thought this was pretty pretty funny. Here they're bowing down to the idols. And uh, someone there says, he's got the feet, he's got the people bowing down, if you can see that. He says, I, as they're bowing down, I feel like we're forgetting something. <laughs> and what were they forgetting? They were forgetting the Lord. Take care lest you forget the Lord. And here they bow, you know, it doesn't, it seems, this doesn't seem quite right. And uh, so thank you, Malachi, for bringing, one says, shh. The other says it's just your imagination. Whatever. So anyway, appreciate that. All right, well, let's look in God's Word here. At, starting at, um, at verse 20. So this, this, this nation of Israel, they've turned back. They're more corrupt than their fathers. They're going after other gods. They didn't drop their, their stubborn ways. And so verse 20 now continues. So... The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people has transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, And he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generation of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites, who lived on Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal, Hermon, as far as Labo Hamat, they were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. 
So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. Let's pray again. Lord, again, we ask that as we think and study in the, in the few minutes we have this morning to look at this passage, that You would again illuminate the pages of Your Word by Your Holy Spirit, that You would do a work that my mere words cannot do, that You would impact and penetrate the heart, that hearts would look to You once again, our great God and Savior, the God we've sung about, that we would behold our God once again. You are a great God. You are worthy. How great Thou art. Lord, show us, Father, through Your testing what's in our hearts. Reveal that to us. And may that revelation again bring us back, not further from You, but back to the cross once again to our Lord and Savior Jesus, whom we will worship forevermore. And so guide this time in Your Word, by Your Spirit, we would pray in this, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, if you can get past the fear and anxiety of them, I would propose to you that tests are actually a, they're a good thing. Tests are they're a good thing. I'm, I'm sure if you're like, I, I mean, nobody here would say, I love tests, I love to take them, I I just like taking them. But grant me that when you get through that test and it it goes well or you, or you, you see it, there's a certain sense of, hey, that was an accomplishment. You look back and you don't necessarily go, I hated that, but you look back and say, that that was a good thing. Um, As a charter pilot years ago, I took many tests, many tests uh, sitting in a room with an examiner, what do you know about this airplane? What do you know about this, that, you know, that sort of exam, or in the airplane flying with them? If you're like me, some of those examiners, some, you want the examiner that's just really friendly and happy go lucky, right? The nice guy. Like, do you know the nice, which one's the nice guy? Oh, it, and then, you know, even driver's license, right? You know, well, that guy's this and this, you know, hope you get whatever. There were some, there were some strict ones. There were some, you know, not much smile going on. And yet I think it, in those cases where the test is, is hard or we're really challenged and then we end up passing the test or we go through that, the reward is great to get through that sort of test. It's, it's better than that easy examiner that just kind of let everything go. You kind of feel like, well, I wasn't really tested. But man, when they're kind of strict, you, yeah, that, that went well. So tests, they're not all bad. They're, they're good things. And so today in our text, where we're at in Judges, I want you to consider the value of testing. The value of testing here of God to Israel in terms of the gracious provision of God. The testing here of God's provision for His people. It it may not look like grace. It looks pretty hard. The test may look impossible, maybe unattainable, but then that's, that's the point. I think the point of testing is a gracious provision to ultimately, ultimately lead God's own back to Himself. But the testing going on here 
leads His people back to the only place they can go, the Lord. So as we head back into our text, verse 20, we find again the Lord's anger, those nostrils turned towards Israel. This passage, like I said, picks up from verse 19. Once again, Israel's turned away from their God. The the, the judge had died. They were, uh, the words in verse 19, they were more corrupt than their fathers. They served the gods around them. And then look at verse 20. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And He said, because this people has transgressed My covenant that I commanded their fathers, and have not obeyed my voice. And then we'll get into that. What's the result of that? What will happen? We'll get into that in a minute. Israel's corruption, their turning, causes the anger of the Lord to burn. And burn it should. It should burn. When mankind, we owe everything to the Lord, to the very grace of God. When we would spurn that grace and depart for other gods that have no satisfying, no saving power, His anger is a righteous anger. And there's two aspects of God's anger here against Israel. One is their transgression and the other is them not hearing God's voice. You've got the word, perhaps, I don't know every version, but you've got the word transgression here. Or they had transgressed my covenant. Simply this word can mean to pass over or pass through or pass by. That's the transgressing. It's actually the same word used in Joshua 3.14 amongst other places of Israel when they crossed over from, uh, from the, want, the wilderness into the promised land. When they crossed over the, the Jordan, it's the same idea. They passed through the waters there. They went through. There they didn't transgress, but that's the idea behind this passing through. And so the, the visual image is perhaps, maybe a couple ways, one who crosses over or passes over outside of where God's boundaries are. Maybe that's the idea where they're transgressing. Or I even think of like God's covenant. Here's the way and the transgression just cuts through God's way. Will they walk in my way? They transgressed. They passed through God's way and they went through it. Maybe one of those ideas there. And then the text also says, that they did not obey the voice of the Lord. God's voice had spoken over and over. Simply hearing with physical ears, that was not the problem. It wasn't, wasn't a, a, that kind of issue. It's their inward, darkened hearts. They fail to heed the Word of God. That's the idea. This, this, this Old Testament, uh, the, the idea of this Word here, this listening, they did not hear and they did not obey. The two go hand in hand. You don't, you don't hear me. You don't obey the voice of the Lord. They're tied together. So then, verse 21 gives us the result of this transgression. What would an angry God do? An angry God who is good and He is righteous in all He does is going to give a just consequence intertwined with His jealous love in grace. Look at verse 21. So because they've transgressed, because they've not obeyed my voice, verse 21, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. Now, if you've been with us 
You're used to this. We've seen this before. We see, saw this passage. Remember? Anybody remember what town, what place it was? It's Bochim. That place of weeping, Bochim. We saw the same thing, this place of weeping. And so perhaps, I don't know all the timing and chronology of this, but perhaps, as we said last week, there's kind of, a, there's kind of the story, and then it seems like we step back a little bit and we focus in on Israel and kind of this, this broad idea of, their, um, of the judges and their corruption and all this sort of thing. And as that resets, we see here again just that same idea of God not driving out those before uh, Israel. Sin and transgression, disobedience... They bear consequences, and so Israel must deal with these foreign nations among them. They're they're the thorns in the sides, the the snares we talked about. And then verse 22 gives the purpose. So this is what God's going to do. The result of your transgression, I will not drive out the nations. Why? What is the purpose? And there we get to verse 22. In order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. And so verse 22 offers this purpose, and, and the purpose is that I think the text, the main theme, if you can, if you go by repetition, which is so helpful when we study the Bible, what word do you see most often here? Test, test, test. There's test going on. The testing of Israel by the surrounding nations. And the question, as we, as we think about this testing, is what kind of testing was this? What's going on here? The word itself means, lo and behold, to test. Great, okay. Thank you, Mike, for the Hebrew. You know, the, but it means to test or to try or to prove. It's kind of what we see, you know, even paper tests or tests that we take. Um, for different things that they're approved. Do we know something? Do we have a, a knowledge of what we're talking about or doing? There's a, there's a sense of proving. And so Israel would be tested and proved to see, I believe, in their heart. Their heart is being proved or tested. Will it follow the Lord or not? Deuteronomy 8.2 alludes to the heart. It's interesting. Here it says this, uh, you know, stating years before, years prior to this time, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. The idea of testing is not just here in Judges 2 and going into chapter 3. It's not where we see testing. It's throughout Scripture. Think of Abraham, Genesis 22. There's testing there. Remember that test? Same Hebrew word used there. After Isaac is born, and so God calls him, go sacrifice Isaac in the land of Moriah. And so Abraham, he obeys and follows. And just before he's about to sacrifice his son, God says, no, I see that you are following Uh, God says there, he says, now I know that you, Abraham, you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I was testing there with Isaac. Uh, The manna in the wilderness tested Israel. Exodus 16 says, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. 
Remember, that's what God said. Just get what get for today, get that. And it says, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. So there's Old Testament. There's also New Testament. Interesting. Paul, 2 Corinthians 2.9. Someone, <clears throat> appears to me, someone in the Corinthians church is causing uh, trouble. Context deals with, I think, the church, calling the church, you need, you need to give consequence. You need to punish this particular one. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. And there Paul says, this punishment by the majority is enough, so turn to forgive and comfort him. They had, Paul had tested, will they obey? It seems like they had. So testing and obedience, they're not merely just Old Testament ideas. We see obedience very much part of the New Testament as well, flowing from God's work in the Gospel. But a question here, why would God need to test Israel? What's the test for? Didn't God already know the heart? I mean, I think, yes, God already, He knew where they were. I, so it's, I don't think it's as though God were sort of kind of wringing, her hand, wringing His hands like, I wonder what they'll do. I'll test them and we'll just see. Like, I'm curious what's going to happen. That's not what we know of God. God has plans and purposes. I think the test was, was more for Israel than for God. It was for them to see. But that doesn't mean these testings, and we're going to look at the other ones here, were disconnected from the sovereign plan of God. There is testing. There is God seeing what they will do with the test. And yet behind all things, as I read and other commentators on here, just brought out the sovereignty of God in the midst of their testing and their following the, the ways of the, of the land, the nations around them. Times of testing reveal the heart. We're tested before us, be it foreign nations, be it sin, be it whatever comes to our doorstep. It reveals our heart. And sadly, many of those times of testing for us too reveal our failures again and again. But there's good news. And I just want to pause here because God's solution in this testing of the heart is found actually back to what God does in the believer. The new heart. We call it being born again. I want you to head to 1 Peter 1.18. So just a, a bit of a break in the, in the text. Look over at 1 Peter 1. I'll, I'll be reading it kind of around at 14 and 21, as we think about this, this testing, 1 Peter 1, you find it near, near the back of your Bible. 1 Peter 1, we'll, I'll, be, I'll start in verse 14. We're kind of aiming at verse 18 here. gives you a little context. To those in Christ, if you've been made a new creation, we find that testing... Reveals not the failure, but the victory. But not our, not our victory, God's victory. Christ's victory in us. Something has radically changed in us by Him. The change is the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Not a, not a separate covenant from the Old Testament, but the, the fulfillment of that promise. Promise to Abraham by faith. 
It's a righteousness by faith. It's looking to Christ, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament found in Him. And so the true tested one is in fact Jesus. And so if we are in Christ, we are those of the righteous one, the greater Israel, if you will. Look at 1 Peter now 1.14. As obedient children, Peter calls to them, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You see what they are now? They're obedient children now. Don't go back to those passions from before. Verse 15. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Here it is, verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You weren't bought with things that will perish. But verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of of you who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Faith and hope that are in the Lord. In Christ, we have been ransomed from the futile ways of the heart. Even though we continue in this body of flesh and we battle the flesh, but our faith and hope are not in our own hearts they're in the one who makes us new, in God alone. So we have hope, and yet there's testing that reveals hearts and it reveals sin in us. But God's testing, as we head back to Judges, is also doing something else. And I, I hesitate as we look now, as we kind of come into chapter 3, hesitate to call it something else, like there's two types of testing here, or or another form of testing. I, I think they're connected, but look, at, look now at Judges uh, 3, verses 1 and 2. So looking at the testing of the heart, and now perhaps a different uh, maybe view on testing. Chapter 3. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generation generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. And so here we might ask, is this some new reason for God's testing, dealing with war and experience, this sort of thing? God would test the heart of obeying His voice, but now it seems, seems different testing. He's leaving testing for the nation so that Israel can be taught this war. I think God is so mighty and sovereign that He can take what man intends for evil, that they had not driven out these nations. Even in that, He uses them for His own good purposes. That God, in the testing of His people via war and hardship, it would train them. It would teach them to know Him. Here's what one commentator says. The distress 
into which the Israelites were brought by the remaining Canaanites was a chastisement from God, like a punishment, a consequence. Through which, then they go on to say, so it was a chastisement of God. Yes, they have failed the test, right? But through which the Lord desired to lead back the rebellious to Himself, to keep them obedient to His commandments, and to train them to the fulfillment of their covenant duties. The battles themselves would lead Israel back to their God. I read somewhere else, in these battles, what did they learn? We must rely on God. The battles and the wars teach them who can win this. Not us. The Lord can. And they're part of their training. Learning to trust Him, to obey God, to know Him. And so war and trial, war and testing, battles, apart from seeming to be God's, just, just His mere punishment, I'm just going to punish God and His sovereignty, they're actually a part of His gracious, His redemptive plan for His people. That in their testing and trial, they might grow strong in Him. Think of it, think of just life itself that I think teaches this. You think of the runner that can run so far. How do they get to that point where they can run miles and miles and miles? It's not by just sitting down and going, I, I hope I can. They go out and they, they test in a way. They battle in that body and that body grows strength and they're able to endure and continue and persevere and run. Or those who study and you study hard or through trial and hardship, there's persevering. I think all things worth having, all things worth pursuing, they involve hard and disciplined pursuit. And so the grace of God leads His people in in sovereign ways we can understand into times of testing, both to reveal the heart, and I believe, and to train in terms of maturing in Him, to love Him, to worship Him in all things. The testing brought on by battles or wars or we'll put trials here, they bring out to us, and I believe Israel here, they bring out who in fact we're trusting in and who must strengthen us. Israel would know the works of God. Remember, this is the generation that had not known. They would know them through the battles they saw Him win. James 1, if you're in the the ladies' Bible study, looking at James, you remember this one, James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The NSB talks about testing as producing endurance, or the NIV, perseverance. So hardships, testing, trial, tribulations, even <laughs> so God works, even when brought about by our own sin, are for the believer, they're part of God's gracious hand that once again leads us back to Himself. And He, through that trial, strengthens our faith. Look then briefly just at verses 3 and 4 as to the nations left for Israel's battle testing. It says, these are the nations, five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites, Sidonians and Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Labo Hamat 
They were for the testing. There it is again. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord which He commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Again, on on the surface, this looks like a list of enemies. It is. It is the list of their enemies. But sovereignly in God's grace, they're also instruments of God's hands to train His people, to test and train them. So enemies, this is only of God, right? We talked about tension in Sunday school. Enemies and instruments at the same time, all giving glory to a sovereign God who rules over the enemy and He rules over His chosen ones. We might ask why this particular list, and this list, we're not going to go back there, but Joshua 13, verses 2 through 6, has a similar list in it. Basically details some of the lands that are given here in Judges. Um, just, I'll just throw this in here. Just I'm hesitant on, on being dogmatic to say, here it is, but it seems like these nations that are listed here formed not like an outer ring around Israel, but at least some boundaries to say these the nations listed that we just read in verse 3 are kind of, a, kind of a surrounding, kind of on the outer edge. Maybe from the south uh, be west or, or to the north. They would be a thorn to Israel in terms of war. So it doesn't seem like this is entirely Canaan. These are people left maybe on the outer edges to train Israel by war and interconnected with their testing. And then the nations left within, as we'll see, the the Hittites, Amorites, the nations left within the country, maybe you'd say more in the heart of it, or maybe more for that testing of, are they going to follow me or are they going to follow other gods? Not so much war, but the idea of the snares and the thorns, that idea. I hold that loosely, but that just an idea of the different places that are lift, listed here. Well, then look at verses 5 and 6 finally then and examine what you might say at least according to the, the text here is test number one. Okay, we, we already kind of, we, we could probably guess the outcome of the test. Let's read it once again. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. In terms of the heart, what grade did Israel get on the first test? It's F. F got zero, right? They failed. They did not listen to the clear instruction God had given them. Listen to this. Moses in Exodus 34 said this. Here was the instruction, which is just fitting at the, the wording of the, the writer of Judges here, of what's here. Here's what Moses had said. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the, see them in your text, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I, th- I think most, if not all, are listed in the same text. I'm reading from Exodus. This is in Judges. It says there, take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of the sacrifice. And you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters 
whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. This warning had already been there. And we're not surprised that after having dwelt so close to the enemy, they, it ends here, they served their gods. In some ways, this last sentence fits kind of what many see as really the introduction to Judges. Maybe you think, wow, that was a long introduction. I, th- I think it just ends right about here. What a, f- what a fitting end of an intro. They served their gods. And then it brings us, just in a literary sense, back into that cycle again, back to where we'll see the first judge next week, Othniel. A couple thoughts as we close. Would you say that you are being tested in some way to know what is in your heart? Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty four. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My question to you, what does your current test reveal about your own walk with the Lord? Dale Davis says this about the pervasiveness of sin. He says, sin is not simply an action you do or fail to do, that you choose to do or not to do. Sin is a power that holds you in its grip. That is precisely what the Apostle meant when he averred or declared that all, both Jew and Gentile, both religious man and pagan man, are all under sin. By which he means under the power of sin. And until the church gets a proper view of sin, we will never see salvation as much more than a moving religious charade rather than an act of holy, vicious violence by which Christ wrenches His people out of the clammy clutches of the Prince of Darkness. For those in Christ, if you are in Christ, you have been rescued from your sin by God's grace. Ransomed, brought from darkness to light. And when testing reveals your heart, reveals that heart of flesh that that remains Take that revelation, as we've said week after week, and maybe we'll con- hopefully continue to say, take that revelation of that testing of that heart and run to the cross. And praise the Lord that the testing and, and the failure, they, they reveal God's holiness and the wickedness of our sin. May we welcome that sort of gracious testing that says, I didn't know all this sin was in me. I didn't know how pervasive, how spread out that sin was was and I do now and I run to Jesus. And then as well, as we kind of, I don't know, dovetail, put these together, as well embrace the testing of that faith, that, that battle, that testing, that, those trials, that these would wake us up from our sleep to cry out, God, You must save. I must know You again. You must forgive. You must com- conquer for I am weak, and welcome the maturing of your faith in the midst of those trials, that testing. Praise God how He takes what man intends for evil, even our temptations, even our sins and situations, and we get into because of our own sin. I'm not saying every trial in your life is because of your own. Evaluate that and look at that. But even see that as God's gracious provision to lead us back to Him, And His training us to mature us, called sanctification, 
to grow in him. We talked about last week. Satan would love to have us say, well, you failed again. Head off. Yes, you failed in your sin. Yes. Embrace that and then, Lord Jesus, I need you. And watch God and his provision and celebrate the gospel once again. God's grace in testing reveals our heart and our need for Him. And God's grace matures us as His children. He trains us to know Him more. Let's pray. Father, it would seem, at least knowing this personally, if not to speak for others here, these times of testing and the trials that reveal our hearts, that reveal whether we will walk according to Your ways or not, reveal so often we would not. And yet, Lord, You say in Psalm 46, You are a refuge and You are a strength. And You are a present help in trouble. Israel, though they be punished, though they be dealt with, they, you were still their God. Even in exile, Lord, your plan was being accomplished that they might turn and turn and turn to you again. Lord, may we be a church and a people that turn to the present help and trouble that in trial and in testing, we embrace this as your provision to see our hearts and our need for Jesus and his glory, not ours. And that, and that through those trials and through that testing, we would look back and say, my faith has matured. I have grown, grown to love and embrace Jesus as my King and to worship you with our hearts. And we pray for this work in us as a church. In the precious name of Jesus, our Savior alone, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.